He ducked his head as he ran back into the cave, trying not to hit his forehead on the overarching stone entryway. He was clutching against his chest a, a, a number of long linen strips. He had he'd scrounged together whatever he could, and, and as he came back into the cave, the, the smell of straw and animals slapped him in the face. He recoiled at the thought of the fact that he was with animals. It was not what he had pictured in his mind as the birthplace of God's son. A voice called to him from the back of the cave, and Mary moaned and, 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 and said out loud, Joseph, there's another contraction coming. And before she could even get to the last word, the moan went into a scream, and she doubled up, and she pushed with all of, his, all of her might. And Joseph, not knowing what to do, just fell to his knees right beside her and held her hand and wiped her brow, and his respect grew for her with every single push. Joseph was young and experienced. He didn't know what to do. And when Mary finally lay back, panting and exhausted, she whispered to him and said, Joseph, I can't do this. And Joseph prayed the prayer of every young father. God, help her. Yahweh, help her. And then he put on his brave face and said, Mary, I'm right here. You you can do this. And their eyes locked and Mary moaned again and she doubled up and she pushed and, and not knowing where to look and, and being caught up in the awkwardness of the moment, Joseph just extended out his hands and said, I, I think I can see his head. And in an instant, a gush of blood and water, the baby shot from the safety of Mary into the hands of his completely freaked out father. Joseph realized he'd been holding his breath the entire time. And when he finally released that exhale, it lined up perfectly with the first breath that Jesus ever took. And Joseph relaxed and Jesus wailed loudly. And Joseph wiped away the blood and wrapped the little boy in the long linen strip. And he looked at his wife with kind of a half smile. And Mary lay back soaked in sweat and wrapped in silence. And the baby quieted for just a moment. And the night was silent and holy. Joseph's mind was spinning. And the voice of his wife kind of brought him back to reality. She asked the question, Joseph, can I see him? A little embarrassed, Joseph handed Jesus to the one who had done all the work. She'd worked incredibly hard. And for a moment, mother and father just held their little one and they stared. The baby moved and they jumped. The baby cried and they got nervous. The baby ate and they were thankful. And finally, the baby slept and they relaxed for a second. And the whole time, Joseph just watched and thought until Mary finally nodded off. And it was just Joseph and Jesus for a moment. And like any young father, he was overwhelmed and he was scared and he was proud and he was confused. Because he was holding the image of the invisible God. He was holding a perfect reflection of the love of God. He was holding God himself and he suddenly realized that. Joseph was lost in thought, and he came to this realization. When he was holding Jesus, he was holding a promise. Joseph was a righteous man. In Hebrew, they would call him tzaddik. 
He was holy and righteous. He was a leader. He was a good man. And he had proved that when all of the world and culture around him was sending him the same message. Joseph, don't marry or don't marry Mary. I mean, just kind of deal with the issue. Do what's convenient for you. Don't attach that broken story to what's going on inside of your life right now. Do the easy thing. Put her away. And Joseph said, no. Joseph, instead of going with what culture said, made the godly decision to walk exactly in the opposite direction. And he sends us an unbelievable message. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you will often have to walk directly in the face of what the world says is convenient. Can I get an amen? With her stained reputation and the whispers in town of Joseph, she's crazy. She thinks her baby's from God. Instead of listening to the whispers, Joseph made the decision to listen to the angel who showed up and said, you will take her to be your wife. And in that moment, he proved that he was a good and righteous man. He didn't care about the whispers. He cared about the promise. Joseph was a good Jewish boy. He knew his Torah. He knew the prophet's voices. And all he cared about was the promise. This little promise was small. But small was fitting because in that moment... From hundreds of years before, the prophet Micah walked up and tapped Joseph on the, on the shoulder and whispered in his ears these ancient words, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me, one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient, ancient times. And Joseph thought to himself, how creative, how ironic that God would slip himself into small, tiny human form and then slip him into a tiny little slice of history, into a tiny little insignificant town, a town Bethlehem, whose name meant house of bread. How creative and ironic that out of the house of bread, God would give the gift of the bread of life. Micah tapped him on the shoulder again. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Joseph thought to himself, you don't look like much of a shepherd right now. But one day, Jesus, I know you will not only be a shepherd, you're going to be a good shepherd. Jesus stirred a little, and the new dad twitched, and Joseph whispered his name again, as all young fathers do, like they're practicing and rehearsing for a play, and he said his name out loud, Jesus. The angel had made that exceedingly clear. You will, she will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. It wasn't an uncommon name. Much like Michael or Jackson these particular days. It wasn't an uncommon name. In fact, it was just a name among so many other names. And in that moment, the prophet Micah stood back and he was joined by the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And in that moment, Joseph thought to himself, I wish unto us meant just Mary and I wish it was just the two of us because I don't want to share him. I don't want the weight of the world to be on his shoulders because right now those shoulders look unbelievably small. 
There was a promise. And there were the names. The angel said, call him Jesus. But there were other names that popped in. And Isaiah whispered them across the ancient years again. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the new dad and his son had a one-sided conversation. And Joseph said, Wonderful. Well, you certainly are that. Look at you. Ten fingers, ten toes. Joseph had wanted to tell Mary he was beautiful, but after all, he was a baby. So, eh, a little pasty, a little slimy, not exactly like he'd pictured in his mind, but, but there he was. And Joseph, being a dad, thought he's wonderful. Counselor, well, the world's certainly going to need one of those. So Jesus, my prayer is that you will counsel people well. Mighty God, that one doesn't seem to fit right now because you're so small, so helpless, so hidden, so human. And yet the promise says that somehow you are royalty, you are a king. So Jesus, in this moment, it doesn't make sense in my brain, but you are my El Shaddai. My mighty God. Everlasting Father, that one doesn't seem to fit at all right now. So for a little while, Jesus, could, could you leave the fathering to me and Prince of Peace? You're peaceful when you're not crying. Right now, Jesus, would you be my shalom? And in that moment, Isaiah whispered to Joseph again. He was holding Emmanuel. God with us. The ancient whisper rippled through his brain again. The virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. God in human flesh. Joseph readjusted his arms and he learned the lesson that every young father does. Little babies get very heavy if you don't move. So he readjusted his arms again. Mary continued to sleep and Joseph's mind wandered as he stared face to face with God's son. And suddenly Joseph realized something. He had that feeling that you get when you think you're alone, but suddenly you realize that you're not. And out at the mouth of the cave... The animals began to stir, and Joseph immediately went into protective mode. He would protect Jesus and Mary, no matter the cost. He had no idea who in the world would be hanging out in the cave, in the stable at that moment. And suddenly the shadows began to move towards him, and the shadows became men, men from the fields. Rough, coarse men, shepherds. And they moved closer and closer, and, and they looked kind of rattled, and they stuttered, and, and, they, and they, they, they weren't profound. They just began to pour out a story, something about angels. Joseph knew a few things about angels. Joseph knew angels show up in your bedroom and say, don't be afraid after they completely freak you out. That's what Joseph knew. But they kept talking. An angel showed and then more angels. Did you know angels sing? And they joined together in a loud chorus and they began to sing glory to God in the highest. They began to talk about how there was good news that in Bethlehem a Savior had been born and He is Christ the Lord. And, and one, of the angel, one of the shepherds finally stood forward and said, they told us if we came here to Bethlehem and went looking for a baby that we would find one and that He would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger just like that baby right there. Joseph scooped Jesus up again and realized he was holding Christ the Lord. The shepherds moved in closer, looking and touching and laughing. 
And Joseph thought to himself suddenly, it almost felt like a birthday party. It was loud and it, 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 it was raucous and people were talking back and forth and the shepherds, they didn't stay long. It was as if they had another mission, another story that they wanted to, to share. And so they left just as quickly as they had come, bowing on their way out, talking and sharing and telling the story. And Joseph listened for a really, really long time until their conversations and their story just kind of drifted out of earshot. Joseph heard a voice again. Joseph, are you still here? Joseph said, I'm right here, Mary. Jesus and I are both right here. And he gave her a drink and counted her breaths until they became slow and regular again. And then he noticed that something wasn't right. Looking in the face of God's son, he noticed on Jesus' cheek was a tiny little small speck of blood that he missed the first time through. So Joseph took his finger and wrapped it in the swaddling cloth and licked it with his tongue. You're allowed to do that if you're a parent. And he moved the fleck of blood off of Jesus' cheek. And he didn't like what tumbled into his mind. The angel had said, and you will name him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And thousands of years of history. Thousands of years a beautiful Jewish tradition came pouring in on top of him. And Joseph realized for sins to be forgiven, something or someone had to die. Once again, the prophet Isaiah jumped into the midst of the conversation. And in the back of his mind, Joseph heard these words. And he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows and yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And Joseph thought he was holding a sacrifice. Isaiah spoke one more time, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. Something inside of Joseph just reacted to that. Dads are supposed to protect children. And instinctually, he pulled Jesus just a little bit closer and he pushed the ancient words out of his mind because they bothered him and they offended him and surely God would be able to find another way. He pushed them away, but they kept crowding back. And he thought to himself, the manger would lead to a cross, and the cross would hold a sacrifice. And that sacrifice would be a sacrifice of love. And Joseph understood again, he was holding love. And love is patient. And love is kind. <laughs> love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. 
Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Jesus never fails. With all of that spinning in his brain, this brand new dad wrapped his son a little tighter, lay down beside Mary, lay Jesus between them, and in that moment, it was a silent night, a holy night. All was calm, and outside of that stable cave, all was right. We love to sanitize the nativity. We like to make Joseph about 32 because we want him to be mature enough to be able to handle what he went through. He was probably 16 or 17 years old. We want Mary to be wise and mature. She was probably about 14 or 15. We like the, the nativity to be clean and, and sanitized and borderline hospital, but the reality is it just absolutely wasn't. It was a couple of confused teenagers in the midst of a love story. A love story that goes and starts at the manger but continues all the way through the cross. The story of the manger would be tragic if it ended at the cross, but the good news of great joy is that it doesn't end at the cross. In fact, the story of the manger goes through the cross. It's true. Jesus was a sacrifice. He gave the greatest gift of all himself, and it's true. He died, and then he conquered death, and he rose a triumphant king. And so today, as the people of God, we join with the prophets of old, and we say from the bottom of our hearts, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift at Christmas time. This weekend, we pause at the manger to reflect on the birth of Jesus, but now I want to invite you to take a step beyond that. We're going to go from the stable to the table. And I invite you to go from there. We ended up at the manger, and now we're going to have to fast forward. We're going to have to fast forward past the time when Jesus was presented in the temple, and, and then his parents lost him, and then when they tried to find him, he showed up again and said, I've just been about my father's business. We're going to have to fast forward to the years of silence, and then the years when Jesus begins to do ministry. We're going to need to jump over that moment when he calls 12 unlikely souls to stop being fishers of fish and to become fishers of men. We're going to have to jump over top of the moments when Jesus showed up and breathed life into people who were dead and vision into people who couldn't see and sound into the ears of people who had never heard. We're going to have to jump over top of all of that. We're going to have to jump to those moments when Jesus was betrayed by his friends and everybody left him. And we're going to have to come to that moment when he willfully became our greatest Christmas gift and allowed love to be hung on a cross. We're going to pause and reflect on the death of Jesus for one reason. We are here today to make sure the story of the manger and the story of God's plan and the story of God's hope and the story of God's love are never, ever forgotten as far as it depends on us. We're going to remember that over top of the manger is the shadow of a cross. But don't be discouraged by that because the story doesn't start in the manger and it most certainly does not end at the cross.
The cross was the crossroads. On the other side was resurrection and joy and church and eternity. So we come with joyful hearts today. But before we come, the Bible says, check yourself. I like that. The Bible says, before you come and you hold him. Just like Joseph did. Before you come, check yourself. Do you know the Jesus of the manger? Do you know the Jesus of the cross? Do you know the Jesus of the resurrection? Do you know the indescribable gift personally, intimately, deep within your own soul? Do you know him? Do you know the promises? Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up and Jesus comes and fulfills every single Old Testament messianic prophecy. Do you know him? Do you know Emmanuel is God with you? He says he is. Have you acknowledged his presence? Do you know Christ the Lord? Do you know the sacrifice he made for you? Have you experienced God's love? If your answer to any of those is no, you can. Romans says if you believe with your mouth and confess with your heart that, Jesus ra that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Merry Christmas. That's the beauty of it. Check yourself. If you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, has your focus been on him this Christmas? Or are you just spinning like the Mazungos of last week? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you may want to go back. Are you looking through a glass darkly as we've spoken about through this reflection series? Has your view been obscured by materialism and all of the stuff and your schedule and your Christmas office party? Can you see clearly knowing one day we will see him face to face? Not the helpless baby in the manger, but the resurrected, triumphant, glorified warrior king. And we will meet him in that moment, either in his power or in his grace. Choose grace. Are you reflecting the brokenness of the world or the beauty of Jesus? Because in a moment, we're going to invite you to come to the table and you're going to hold him supernaturally, symbolically. You're going to hold a small piece of bread that symbolizes the broken body of Jesus for you. You're going to hold a small cup that contains the new covenant in his blood. A small cup of grape juice that will remind you that he shed his blood when he became that gift. And he shed it and was broken for you. And me. In a moment, you're going to hold him promise, the love, Emmanuel, God with you. You will hold him and have an opportunity to partake and remember and be thankful that the story of Jesus does not end at the cross. It was just getting started. I've been watching people all week because that's what I do, right? Went to the mall. It's like a spectator sport. 
And I began to think to myself, what could we do this weekend that would go against the culture of the world right now? You know what I noticed? In every store I went to, there were people standing dutifully in line, waiting to check out, holding their stuff. And if they were from Christ the King, they were looking at the angriest person in the line and smiling at them and saying, wow. So we're not going to stand in lines today. We're not going to line up and move dutifully through. We're going to make Christmas communion glorious chaos because that's what the nativity was. You're probably going to bump into somebody. It's okay. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and he'd love to have a collision with your soul this morning. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to have to say, excuse me. And you know what? It's no big deal. If you get grumpy in that moment, we will pray for you after the service, all right? (laughs) Seriously? Wow. (laughs) We're going to invite you to come. There's four tables at the front, four tables in the middle. There's even two tables at the back. They're all over the place. Just walk to the candles. And we're going to invite you, when the Holy Spirit of God taps you on the shoulder, to come and to be served communion. And this weekend, it's different. There's going to be no people serving. You know why? Because the Trinity is going to serve communion at Christ the King. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at every single table simultaneously because they are omniscient, omnipresent omnipotent, they know all, they see all, and they want you to come. Some of you will disqualify yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Allow Jesus to wash your soul. Come. Come sinners, one and all, and I'll be at the front of the line. We come to adore Him. Not on our agenda, on His you will have multiple songs with which to respond. And if we're done before you're ready, after church, the communion table is never closed. It's always here for you. And you can come and serve yourself and take it right here. If you want to, you can walk it back to your seat. You can sit for a while. I mean, this is going to drive my OCD crazy, but it's going to make Jesus very happy. So let's go with Jesus today. Let's hold him. Let's adore him. To him be all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the praise. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy unto you this day has been born a Savior and he is Christ the Lord when he says come. Thank you.